Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. 630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad. It's Connor McDavid. He's got Darrell Walker, and he's got some room down the sidelines. McDavid to Everly, dishes off one time to the 30, 20, 10, 5. Star! Touchdown, Eskimos! Edmonton's home for breaking news on your favorite teams. This is Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on the voice of your Edmonton Oilers and Eskimos, 630 Chad. Well, good evening. Thanks a lot for tuning in tonight. My name is Reed Wilkins. Hey, the Edmonton Oilers back at practice tomorrow. They will play the Los Angeles Kings on Thursday night. That game, of course, right here on 6.30. Chad, 5.30 for the face-off show. The game will start at 7. The Oilers will play their final game of the calendar year Saturday night at home. Rogers place 8 o'clock puck drop against the Vancouver Canucks. We'll have an extended face-off show, you, uh, show for you that day. It'll start at Six uh, Tonight on Inside Sports, we have a best-of edition. And, man, you're going to hear some fun stuff. You're going to get to uh, Henry Burris in just a couple of minutes. Brian Benning as well. He joined me in studio. He is Matt's dad and a former NHL defenseman himself. Cavis Reed, recently named the general manager of the Montreal Alouettes. Phil Esposito on the show tonight, and always entertaining time whenever Phil comes on the show. Hockey Hall of Fame goaltender Rogie Vashon and the pride of Athabasca. And the number one proponent of visiting Mournville, Jay Onright from Fox Sports 1. He's going to be on. Oh, that's all over the next couple hours. My goodness, how do we pack all that in? Let's get right to it, though. The, the Grey Cup, I mean, what a memorable game from this past year. Went to overtime, a lot of thrilling plays. You had Ottawa get the big lead. Calgary caught up. Uh, Ottawa able to win it. And of course, a lot of people didn't even think Ottawa would be in the game, let alone close, let alone win the thing. And uh, Henry Burris, incredible story for him, the Ottawa quarterback. And we talked to him just a few days after they won the championship. Oh, doing great, doing great. Of course, you know, we're on cloud nine out here in Ottawa right now celebrating a big Grey Cup victory. Well, you know, you crafty old bugger, Henry. I'm watching the pregame and you're hobbling around and Twitter's telling me you're not going to play. And then you go out there and you play the game of your life. Like, you're just setting everybody up, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> no, trust me. Uh, you know, once I, once I, everything happened to me during the pregame, I mean, I, you know, there was some panic as far as, uh, you know, as far as inside my head because, you know, I felt that before and, you know, this was something that you definitely didn't want to have happen at that moment, you know, during the pregame and the Grey Cup of all moments for something like that to go down. But, you know, luckily, like I said, for myself, and I'm one of the best medical staffs as far as in all the sports that, that we work with that, you know, went in there. And, and trust me, they uh, they they tidied me up right. You know, they put some feel-good medicine in me and, and you know, definitely uh, manipulated the, the joint in the right way and, 
and got me prepared to get back out on the field. You know, so I'm very thankful, you know, for the staff that we have uh, and, and, you know, their selves coming together, staying cool, calm, and collected and coming up with a solution, executing it and getting me back on the field. Yeah. Well, a memorable game. Uh, you played great. I mean, I, I said on Twitter, you looked as sharp as I, as I ever saw you as you guys jumped out to a lead. But I want to go back to about a, a week ago in the lead up to the game. How much attention did you and your teammates pay to the fact that everybody said you were going to lose by 30 points or whatever? Pick a total. Well, I mean, we understood what we were up against. We knew how good Calgary was and you know everything that they had accomplished throughout the season. But we also knew that was the same Calgary team that we basically gave a tie to when we played them here in Ottawa. We had, what, two missed field goals. We threw an interception in the end zone, and we fumbled on the one-yard line on one of the final drives of the game. And so we pretty much handed them you know, that, that tie playing here in Ottawa, whereas in Calgary going into the fourth quarter, it was an eight-point game before they made a few plays and opened things up and took a lead. So the thing is, we knew going into the game that we had as good of a chance to go in there and, and, and have success against Calgary in all three phases than any other team in this league. But the thing was, we were gaining some momentum down the stretch here. We won some key games on the road, both in Hamilton and in Winnipeg. And, of course, we won the uh, East semifinal against one of the hottest teams in the league at the time with the Edmonton Eskimos. So the thing was, we were, we were you know, taking care of our, our ducks in a row. You know, we, we were doing things the way they should. We weren't putting the carriage before the horse, and we were making the plays as they should have been made. And we had a lot of confidence going into that great cup. But, again, nobody saw us having the confidence by looking at our record. They only saw the fact that Calgary had lost two games, and so people had anointed them before the game had even started. Henry, I, I always love asking athletes what they remember about moments in games. And the one I want to ask you about is one you couldn't have control over because Calgary obviously staged a late rally and, and got an onside kick and even had a chance to maybe score the go-ahead points in the last 30 seconds, which wouldn't have left you with a lot of time to do anything about it. What was going through your mind as they were staging that comeback and had a chance to go ahead in the final minute? Well, I had confidence that our defense would hold them to, you know, a field goal in that situation. That's one thing our defense has done a great job of. You know, they've had that bend but don't break mentality, especially when you go against an offense that's that powerful. Uh, but, of course, you know, I heard all the comments about, you know, if Bo Levi or, or Jerome Messam would have had the ball there on that second and two. But nothing's ever guaranteed, and one play never decides the game. And, and I think people to put too much emphasis on that, not due to the fact that Calgary did turn the ball over and there were some errant passes from their side, too. But the thing was, maybe Bradson Alpley, you know, if he'd have moved up a yard closer, he would have caught the onside and Calgary wouldn't have had that opportunity. So there's a lot of if ands, and buts that were circulating. But again, like I said, nobody could, uh, nobody complained when Buckley went in untouched earlier in the fourth quarter and got that touchdown. So the thing is, you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't. So that's just the status of how football is. You make your decisions, you roll with it, you maintain confidence. And that's the reason why we were great cup champions, because regardless of the fact that we didn't make certain plays, we stayed unfazed, and when they didn't make the plays, they panicked, and that's the reason why they lost in the end, and we didn't. Great Cup MVP Henry Burris joining us on Inside Sports. Did, were you aware that Jackson was bobbling that ball that wound up to be the winning touchdown? Or what, what was that? No, honestly, I didn't. I, I mean, you know, when I when I threw the pass, I felt like it was in a good position for him to make the catch and and be able to run with it as well. But as the ball hit his hand, I saw the ball kind of deflect off his hand, and I lost it. So, of course, in my mind, I'm thinking, man, that's an incomplete pass. But then all of a sudden, I see the bench, our sideline, and the crowd just go nuts. 
And next thing you know, I see Ejack fall into the end zone and the ball was in his hands. And I'm thinking, wow, did that just happen? I mean, of course, we always tease each other, especially with our receivers, our defensive backs, that if they catch a ball four or five times in one play, it only counts as one catch. But when it comes to probably the the probably one of the biggest reception of this entire season, uh, and probably in his entire career for Ejack, that was probably the one that'll resonate with him forever. Henry, on Monday I got to interview Tony Gabriel, who made a big catch in 1976. It was the last time an Ottawa team won the Grey Cup. It's an interesting anniversary, an interesting connection, uh, and, and Ottawa football has been so uh, up and down, obviously, since then. Uh, you know, a couple teams have come and gone, and now the Red Blacks have been quite successful. It, just give me a sense of... Um, the connection with the fans and the community, and, and I'd really like you to comment on yesterday's rally and just what the energy in that experience was like. Well, I think when you talk about the fact of 40 years it's been since uh, this organization has won a, uh, a major uh, sports uh, title, uh, and to be a part of helping deliver that first title, I mean, you, you, you dream about how the scenario would break down and, and just how it could be. But it's one thing to think about it, but then to actually experience that, it's another. And I tell you, when we turned uh, off of the side street, we were on Pretoria onto Bank Street, uh, which is where all the fans had, had gathered for the parade to begin. And we saw just the waves of people up and down Bank Street yesterday. And to see all the kids, all the parents, all the fans, all the season ticket holders that had turned out in only two days' notice. And, of course, Mother Nature was being cooperative by the fact that you know, it was freezing rain here, so therefore kids weren't going to school. But also, in freezing rain, it was going to deter some people from coming out also. But that didn't deter the estimated and possibly over 40,000 people that were here for our for our parade yesterday and, and allowing us to have uh, probably one of the biggest parties that Canada and the CFL has seen. And even, you know, with, with the NHL team, I, I mean, I don't know how big celebrations can become, but this is probably one of the biggest that, that has been in this country. And, and to see just... And I mean, to feel the emotions from all the people that have been part of not only the Red, the Red Blacks, but the Rough Riders from uh, the past and also the Renegades, they've been waiting such a long time to, to experience this moment that to be a part of this is for us something that we'll never forget. Myself, guys like Chris Milo, guys who've been around this league for a number of years, John God, a number of different guys, for us to be able to come here to Ottawa in only three short years to deliver a Grey Cup championship is something truly phenomenal and something that people probably never thought was possible. All right, Henry. And before I let you go into the off season here, you going to play next year? <laughs> well, I tell you, I've, I've had to field that question about a thousand times right now. <laughs> and, you know, honestly, it's something I haven't even thought about yet. I mean, I want to sit down and talk with my family. Uh, of course, I have to get this knee taken care of. Uh, we'll have to do something to, uh, you know, uh, clean the knee up and such uh, here over the next couple of weeks uh, to come. So, I mean, there's so many things that will have to, to happen before I make a decision. But, honestly, I've always dedicated the month of December to my family, and I'll continue to do so. Right now, like I, I've told people always, uh, right now we, we feel like we're in Vegas, and one thing you don't do in Vegas is talk about work. So I'm not going to do that right now. <laughs> I'm going to enjoy this month with family and friends and with my teammates and with the city of Ottawa. And uh, then once the holidays and everything's over, you know, we'll take care of this in January. Well, that's, uh, that's a great answer. And I know you're going to be busy being a hockey dad. We talked about that when you were on a couple of weeks ago. So uh, all, all the best with the, uh, the kids' hockey season. Uh, Henry, again, congratulations. Quite a story. One of the best Grey Cups I've ever seen. And uh, Merry Christmas. And I know we're going to be doing interviews like this uh, several times down the road, whether you're a player or not. So I really appreciate your time. 
Hey, thank you so much for all all the support and everything. And uh, yeah, I really look forward to you know what's to come is what to come. But you know, right now this is a true special moment here in Ottawa, and like I said, it's a dream come true, and this is the reason why we came here. And now, you know, definitely very thankful I did. Yeah, and thank you so much for everything. That is Henry Burris. Always a pleasure to have him on the show. It is the best of Inside Sports on 630 Chet. When we get back, you'll find out which of my co-workers has a very interesting tie to the late Alan Thicke. That's coming up here on 630 Chet. Hi, this is Ryan Nugent Hopkins from your Edmonton Oilers. You're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio 630 Chet. Okay, best of inside sports on 6.30, Chet. You know, it was sad a couple of weeks ago. Alan Thicke passed away, great Canadian entertainer, huge hockey fan. And what's interesting here is, from from a 6.30, Chet perspective, Alan Thicke is from Kirkland Lake, Ontario. So is my boss, the, the very first host of Inside Sports back in the 1990s, now the brand director here at 630 Chet, Sid Smith, also from Kirkland Lake, Ontario. So I, I, I went, talked to Sid a couple days after Mr. Thick passed away, and I said, Sid, do you have any sort of a connection to Alan Thick? An interesting uh, connection. I always thought you were the most famous person to call Kirkland Lake, Ontario home. Yeah. I'm but, still lobbying for the sign, but uh, they probably won't go with me. Well, especially now, yeah. but unfortunately, we've lost Alan Thick, who, uh, di- who I, I didn't realize this till you know. Now you see all his biography stuff. I just knew Canadian. I never even thought about it. Uh, from Kirkland Lake, Ontario. So I thought, I wonder if there's a Sid Smith, Alan Thick, some sort of. Connection, magic moment, whatever. Yeah, this might be more than six degrees. I'm not sure, but no, I, I, uh, I certainly didn't. I wouldn't say that I, I knew Alan Thick, uh, but he was my first probably uh, when I was working on my first radio station in Kirkland Lake, CJKL. He was sort of the first uh, big interview, probably him and Honeymoon Suite. Nice. <laughs> uh, and, but the, but the connection was that my uh, my mother was uh, a public health nurse, and so part of what she did, she would go and visit people in their homes just to see how they're doing and help them out. And one of the uh, couples that she would go visit on a fairly regular basis were uh, was Alan Thick's grandparents, who still lived in town. And so she'd go over there, and you know this is right around the time when he's. He's big and he's famous, so he would have done his Canadian talk show, and then he he had done Facts of Life, I guess, is probably what he was doing at that time. I mean, I don't have the best memory of this, right. uh, but he was certainly big and famous. And anyway, so he she'd go over and visit, and every now and then, um, you know, she'd walk into their house, and... Uh, Alan would be kind of lying on the couch watching TV like you do at your grandma and grandpa's house. And so she kind of got to know him a little bit over time. And he just kind of knew that, you know, every now and then Mrs. Smith comes to visit grandma and grandpa and make sure that they're doing all right. And that's good. And so that relationship would have started before I got into radio. But then once I did, so now and and I, I, I wasn't there, but I can only sort of imagine the conversation with my mom going, oh, hey, Alan, like. My son's in show business too now. Like, you, you must have a lot in common. And uh, so, at some point, she, you know, she was kind of my broker. Uh, you know, she kind of, unbeknownst to me, I probably would have said, like, you know, mom, like, please don't. Like, he's not gonna want to come and get interviewed by some nineteen-year-old kid at the local radio station. He's Alan Thick, uh, but. 
she was my mom, and so she said, hey, you probably would like to get interviewed by my son. And he's like, yeah, I'd like to get interviewed by your son. <laughs> uh, and so she told me that, like, and then she came home after she already talked to him one of these times and said, would you? And I'm well, yeah, of course. I, I wouldn't say no to that. And uh, but I thought nothing would ever come of it. And then, you know, two, three months go by, and he was coming back up north to visit his grandma and grandpa again. And he phoned ahead and said uh, to them and said, hey, you know, I'm coming to visit. Did you, you, did you want to call Mrs. Smith <laughs> and see if, see if her boy still wants to interview me? So it was like this weird sort of thing. And uh, so I said, yeah, yeah sure. And uh, he just kind of, you know, whatever the day was, just kind of showed up at the radio station, walked upstairs and introduced himself to the receptionist and said, you know, I'm here to, here to talk to Sid. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I was like a big deal around the radio yeah, station exactly, for a couple yeah. of days, right? But, <laughs> but yeah. So that, but he, and and I just I just remember that he was as everybody sort of been talking about, like from the very very famous people to, uh, you know, regular folks that just had the opportunity to meet. And what I remember was he was just a really really nice guy. Well, and that's and this that's such a Canadian story that he just went to his hometown small town radio station because he probably thought, yeah, I should do it. And he's one of those guys. I mean, you don't you never hear anybody say anything bad about Alan Thicke. No, right? Canadians love him, and I think we love Canadian stars. We know you often have to go to the states to to mm-hmm. make it, but they. I mean, sadly enough, he he passed away because of a hockey game. Right, but. That's also he kept playing hockey. It was very Even Canadian. in LA where yeah. there's you know, and we love when, you know, Mike Myers would slip his hockey references into Saturday Night Live yeah. or, or, or or whatever. So that he always maintained that where we could always you know, poke people. So oh, he's he's Canadian. He's Canadian. Well, and one of the things I do remember wh- when when I was talking to him. So he, you know, because I was at that point, I you know, I didn't know much of his background other than he was from our hometown. Uh, but he went down south to go to school. To uh, I think he went to Western in, in London, Ontario, and. He, he was telling me he wasn't really a, you know, a big student, but that was what you did to keep mom and dad and probably grandma and grandpa happy as well. And so my line of question was, well, and now, you know, local boy makes good. And now you've got sort of, you're living the dream. You've got your dream job. And he was like, no, that's not my dream job. My dream job is to play in the NHL. And, you know, he says like, this is great and I love it and I appreciate it. And I, I you know, I, I know how fortunate I am, but I didn't, lie awake staring at the ceiling as a 10-year-old in Kirkland Lake, hoping I would be, you know, writing jingles for variety shows or acting uh, on network TV. You know, I was skating out onto the ice at Maple Leaf Gardens and scoring the winning goal. Yeah, that's incredible. I'm, well, I'm sure he was still thinking about that, you know, kid who kept playing hockey. Sid, thanks for sharing that story. That's incredible stuff. Thank you. So there you have it. Pretty cool. A 19-year-old Sid Smith got to uh, interview Hollywood Big Shot Alan Thick when he was visiting his hometown. That is some cool stuff. This is the best of Inside Sports on 630. Chad, we're going to take a quick timeout. Brian Benning, former Oilers defenseman and the dad of current Oilers defenseman Matthew Benning, he's coming up. This is Cam Talbot from your Edmonton Oilers, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio 630 Chad. 
Okay, really appreciate you tuning in tonight. It's the best of Inside Sports on 6.30. Chad, always love talking to uh, ex-players, always love bringing guys in studio to sit down and talk to them and get to know them a little better. And that was uh, really cool. A couple of weeks ago, Brian Benning came in studio, spent a half, uh, half hour with me here on Inside Sports. He is Matthew Benning's dad, who's been having a really good year as a rookie on the Oilers' blue line. And Brian was saying it was really cool to go on the Oilers' father's trip at the end of November and see the Oilers' play against Colorado and Arizona. Yeah, it was real good. Really good excitement from, uh, you know, from practice here, uh, the new rink, the facility, getting on a plane, going to Denver, and you know, just kind of, you know, parts of it's the same. Some of, you know, a lot has changed. So, you know, it was a real good experience to see both uh, Colorado and Phoenix. Uh, You never chartered when you played, did you? You know, we did. We, uh, in St. Louis, my first couple years, we didn't, but then after that, in, uh, in LA with uh, Gretz and stuff, uh, everything else was a charter. And then when I ended up in Florida, pretty much the whole league was chartering at that point, and um, you know it really made the travel a lot easier. Uh, so you got to see, uh, I'm thinking a six-three win in Colorado, yep. and uh, I can't remember what the score was, but a shootout loss in Arizona with Matthew to McDavid to almost win. Yep. <laughs> Did you think that was the buzzer beater that didn't quite count in overtime? What did you think of that play? Well, you watch it, you watch it, and then you're looking for the clock, but, you know, you you, you want to just kind of watch the play, and then you watch the clock on the replay. So it was close. It was uh, woulda, coulda, shoulda, but uh, that's the way the game goes. I thought Matthew on that play, and I interviewed him about him a couple days after, because he's going in, and he must be aware that the game's almost over. And I'm like, I wonder if he's just going to fire it. I thought he showed great awareness and good execution to even get the puck over to Connor. Yeah, he copped out and said, "Yeah, I thought I should maybe give it to the best <laughs> player in the in the in the league, right?" So, but it was one of those things. He was more worried about where he had to Connor getting it to him. It was a little bit behind him. He had to dig it out and then get it over. So, uh, you know, they were close. Uh, anything uh, without giving away any trade secrets, but. Any, any anything behind the scenes or special access that really sticks with you about that trip? Well, I got asked a lot by the other dads how what's changed, what's the same, da 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 da. Right. So, you know, the game's uh, a little bit faster. I think. I think that the the guys are better athletes. The guys are, uh, um, you know, they they live it, they breathe it. Uh, it's around them a lot with technology nowadays. That's the biggest difference that I saw. Is the videos? Uh, you know these coaches were unbelievably positive um, you know they were motivating and not intimidating you know in our era maybe there was a little bit of you know do this or else right um, but you know they break down the uh, the video uh, guy was unbelievable he could help the guys uh, give them their shifts uh, recap some stuff uh, all learning traits uh, coaches would come around if there was a positional thing and and now it's so detailed it's where your feet are pointing where your stick is is, um, you know, those types of things. But the positiveness for power play penalty kill, um, you know, option one, option two, option three, um, you know, th- there's lots of things for them to work off of, and, and they're trying it. I know everybody says shoot, 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 but, <laughs> uh, you know, coming from Matt, that's, you know, one of his things. He says, this league, they do an unbelievable job of getting in those lanes and blocking shots. So it's, yeah. you actually have to go out of your way to take that extra step or two and get pucks by and if it goes by the first group maybe the second group fronts those shots and and it's blocked so you know it's uh it's still the same game um you know and uh they do try their best and uh 
you know, the two things that they do control is knowledge of the game and effort of the game. And, uh, you know, they, uh, they, they do a lot of good things out there. Uh, so, they, so the dads got to sit in on a video session or get exposed to some of it. Yeah. So the morning skates, they, you know, we were a part of that, and uh, you know, pregame, uh, you know, uh, meetings too. You know, they talk about a forecheck or a D zone coverage or you know uh, what they're gonna do, and uh, so very technical, very positive, and uh, I wished we had that when I was there because I really like that stuff. I like to know what the other teams are doing on a forecheck and uh, have different looks, so you can prepare mentally and, and visualize you know how you're going to get out of those situations you know back in our day the games were you know the tape you had was a week old and there's oh, a different right. lineup and uh, you know it's start and stop on the old VCR and uh, you know or you're on the chalkboard yeah. Well, I mean, you played until 95, so it's not as if there wasn't. We shouldn't make it sound like you played in the 30s. but yeah. So there was video, but you're right. It wasn't digital. And, and I mean, we got a, the media got a tour of the dressing room when the building was opening. And, I mean, we still get to go into the dressing room area to do interviews, but it was one time only to see the workout room and the video room and the little personalized video stations. Guys can even go to in an intermission to watch their shifts from the previous period. I mean, that yeah. just blew my mind. Yeah. And, you know, that's that's been around now. You know, Matt did that in college. As a dad in Edmonton, he was in Boston. I could look at his, uh, get access to the website and then, you know, look at his shifts, power play, penalty killing, in a college game. So it's out there in basketball and football, and, and the, the programs are out there for a lot of this stuff. Brian Benning joining us in studio inside sports on 630 Chet. Uh, you're a hockey dad, but obviously you're also an, an NHL hockey player. W- was that, with Matt growing up as uh, as a father who played in the NHL, did that ever unfairly or alter expectations people had for him? Did he ever face, do you think, any 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 pressures or expectations that maybe you'd hoped he wouldn't have had to because of that? I would think that there's some pressures involved with that, right? I think that... Uh our family doctor told us that, uh, you know, and just preparing and all this other stuff, you know, you, you want to do this, this, and this, but understand that, you know, you were a pro player and, you know, whether you're a novice or Adam or in Peewee, you know, it, it's going to be, well, you know, does he make it because he's good enough or does he make it because dad's coaching and he, and he played, right? So you get to that, but, you know, I've been fortunate. Matt's, you know, all of our children have been very contributing factors to their team and uh, that's never the case um, but you know what it, it, it does and we went a path of college and uh, um, USHL we played in the AJ and then it just kind of took a lot of that pressure away being away honing your game working on your strength your speed those types of things and 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 what that brings confidence and and you know be patient it's not a race to get to the NHL Dave King said to me um, you know when I was on I was a top draft top top this top that and uh, you know when I got to the Canadian Olympic team he said you know offense will get you here but defense will keep you here so you know do you want to play two years or ten years so those are the types of things that I could send now to my children and and say you know what you got to understand the D side of the game if you can play D you can play at any position you can work on your offense you can do this but you got to have the trust of the coach that he trusts you being out there and uh, you know we really preach the hockey IQ side of things yeah that's 
that's a good point. The 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 trust of the coach, and I know sometimes fans question ice time and all. Oh, this guy doesn't look like he's ever going to score, but sometimes the answer is well because the coach thinks he's reliable because he might not be a superstar, but he'll do the same thing on the ice every single time. And probably Chris Russell and Mark Letestu are two good examples of that on on, on this year's Oilers. Just off yeah. the top of my head, to, for for examples, when did you? And, and maybe maybe you didn't until recently, but uh, you know Matt was drafted by Peter Shirelli previously uh, when he was with Boston. Um, but I mean, it's a different path for a guy like Matt because you know when Connor McDavid was 17, people already knew he was going to go first overall. When Matt was 17, he's playing in the AJHL. Did you ever have an inkling? Oh, he might have a pro career ahead, or were you just kind of a day by day, year by year type of dad? We set reasonable goals, right? So when you're in the AJ, and uh, you know the, the reasonable goals are, well, let's get to let's get to college, and let's further your your NH or your your potential NHL hockey, but let's further your hockey career in college, and let's get an education, and you never know what happens after that. Um, you know, he went to Boston uh, at Northeastern uh, University, and it was a, a wonderful experience playing in a really good league of Boston College. Boston University and the the competitive spirit and all that stuff and and he just you know continued to develop so I say to any hockey player uh, you know you got to always work on your game know what your strong suits are but know what your weaknesses are so you can work on those and then you become a complete player and then um, you know and that's what kind of happened with Matty he was known as a stay-at-home steady defenseman at uh, 18 he went to the USHL he got 10 goals as a defenseman he didn't get 10 goals in Pee Wee. So, you know, it's you never know, right? But he he had a good coach. The coach believed in him, and, you know, he got 10 goals. He went to college and played in all situations, 27 minutes a game, power play, penalty kill, and, you know, those are the types of things that you you gain confidence. Uh, Did you you realistically think he was going to have played, what's he up to now, 23 games in the NHL this season? Well, yeah, he's beaking me. I I didn't think that, number one. But, you know, you never know, but he's beaking me. He's played more games in Edmonton than I did. That's right. You were at 18 in 92-93. That's right. So I kind of throw my games played back at him, and he kind of chuckled. But, uh, you know, we we always believe in uh, in opportunities, and you always set your – got a dream. And not that, you know, we're a bunch of dreamers, but you got to work towards the goal, and uh, you can achieve it if you believe it. That's Brian Benning. When we get back, you will hear how he helped Matthew become a right shot. It's the best of Inside Sports on 630 Chet. This is Mark Letestu from your Edmonton Oilers, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio 630 Chet. We'll have the Oilers and the Los Angeles Kings Thursday night, 5.30 face-off show here on Chet. Game will start at 7. Former Kings goaltender Rogi Vashon still to join us tonight. Right now, we'll resume our conversation with Brian Benning, the dad of Oilers defenseman Matthew Benning. And Brian was saying how he influenced Matt to become a right-hand shooter. So the story is, is we, you know, you, you want to get a boy, you want to teach him some hockey stuff, you want to do this, you want to do that. So we had some statistics when I played about, you know, right-handed defensemen were a little bit more uh, harder to get and da-da-da-da-da. So when we were kids, you know, 
Larry, when when he was a kid, uh, we'd we'd play mini sticks in the basement, and so I thought, well, you know, maybe if I curved that mini stick, and if he grabbed it, he'd grab it towards a curve, and we would learn and teach how to play those sticks, you know, right-handed, and we'd try to, you know, maybe push it that way, and, you know, if he grabbed it and was winging it on his backhand, well, okay, I guess he's a lefty, but uh, it just so happened that all three of our kids shoot right. That's how they learned. That's what we had. Us growing up as boys, we had four boys in our family, and Jim was the oldest. He grabbed, he had a left-handed, and then came Mark. He had the left, and I had it. So we all shot left, so I thought I'd try it, and, and it worked. Well, and they're still looking for right shot D. So Matt's <laughs> going to have something that uh, is is desirable for for a long time here. Uh, Brian, we want to talk a little bit about uh, about you, uh, St. Louis, L.A., Philly, Edmonton, Florida. Uh, your career. I mean, uh, man, I forgot some of the good offensive numbers you had when you played. But you were an L.A. King for for three seasons while Gretzky was there and while Bruce McNall owned the team. And that's a, a nice coincidence because I had Bruce on the show on uh, on Monday night, still really outgoing, a lot of energy. Must have been something to play for him as an owner. He was great. Uh, Bruce McNall was, uh, you know, I think of Bruce, and I always say this to kids, is, is you know, smile. You know, because you're, you people want to be around you when you smile and you're cheerful. And Bruce was, you know, that kind of guy. He was an unbelievable uh, uh you know, just a, a a fan of the game, and you know he'd come down and you know socialize with us. He'd he'd take different groups out when we were traveling on the road and for dinner, and you know talk t- tell us about different types of stories and you know just different things in his world that we were never exposed to. But uh, treated us first class. Um, you know, obviously did a great job of you know expanding the game, and you know before Bruce to after Bruce with uh, board advertisements, extra revenue, you know, TV, the Wayne Gretzky moving down there. It was awesome. I've got a scrapbook at home from L.A. where Bruce would bring guys in all the time to the dressing room, and you'd be around, the he'd, they'd be around the glass, and, you know, guys like Tom Hanks and Bruce Springsteen, and, and so one of my goals there was to, our team photographer, make sure I took a picture with everyone, and so now i got this scrapbook looking back about all these guys of, uh, you know, they'd come down, Daryl Strawberry, Bo Jack and come down to the dressing room. And it was a great opportunity for us to, you know, kibitz to the sp- different sports guys, but also, you know, what a great opportunity with Tom Hanks and Bruce Springsteen. Yeah, you know, I should ask you, I didn't even, uh, I didn't ask you this ahead of time, but we lost Alan Thick yesterday. Did you ever meet Alan? Yes, he was a huge, come to all the games. Uh, sad, sad story. Uh, really good friends with Wayne Gretzky and David Foster and, and him. They'd always come down and, you know, be a part of it and uh, just a great job. Brian Benning joining us. It's interesting that era you played for L.A. Uh, I mean, L.A. is obviously a great place to visit, and I suppose if you were a hockey player and wanted to wear shorts to practice, it'd be where you wanted to go. But until really McNall bought them and he was able to acquire Wayne, and I know here we still call it a sale usually, bought Wayne, um, I don't know if there was the expectation that the team was ever going to do very well. They often didn't in the tough spite division uh, those days. I guess McNall and Gretzky must have I mean it made 
players want to be a king, not just for the LA lifestyle, but because they moved up in the standings. I know, and just after you left, they finally made a cup final. Well, I think a couple factors that, uh, you know, they had ugly jerseys, so there was one thing that nobody wanted to go wear that purple and gold. You know, obviously the, you know, after the game was, you know, you know, pretty flamboyant around LA in the, in the late 80s, early 90s, right? So uh, there was big hair in those days. But, you know, when you look back at it, is he created a culture. And, you know, getting Wayne was one of it, but, you know, getting Larry Robinson out of Montreal for after 20 years, you know, things that I remember, I was, you know, 21, 22, and, you know, roomed with Larry Robinson, right? He showed me how to, you know, how to, the ropes. And uh, uh, another good guy that, uh, Charlie Huddy was there, was an exceptional gentleman, uh, uh, learned a lot, John Tonelli. Um, you know, these are guys that have been through it, and, and I look back at it and I say, well, that those guys that were, you know, early 30s could really contribute, um, really settled things down and, and, and put our focus on where it needed to be. You know, there was a lot of hype and, you know, the expanded salaries and stuff in L.A. and all this other stuff. But, you know, Bruce was unbelievable. And, uh, you know, there's I loved his stories. That's all I can say is there. If he ever writes a book, it'll be a bestseller because <laughs> he his wealth of knowledge and, and deals. He was a deal maker and uh, uh, just a super guy. I got to tell a one story. Yeah, for sure. Goes to Winnipeg and, you know, here's a guy in a black Armani suit, white shirt and black tie and da 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 da. But the type of guy that he was is, you know, a dad would be there with his son and, you know, he'd be looking at at, uh, whether it was a a Winnipeg uh, buying his kid a something, uh, a jersey or a a hat. And Bruce would kind of hang back a little bit. And then when they went to go pay for it, uh, you know, Bruce would step forward and and just chip in and say, you know what, I got this one. And, uh, he did that all over. Act of kindness was was everywhere. Yeah, that's great. Brian Brent- Benning joining us on Inside Sports tonight. Um, you you played in an era where there there was more fighting than there is now. Uh, I mean, you weren't uh, you weren't a goon by any means, but you had some years where you, you were you were over a hundred minutes in penalties. And now with Connor McDavid on the Oilers, uh, I mean, I almost every night. How, why, how do we protect? Why didn't Lucic fight that guy? Why didn't Kaskin jump? Why did Kadri get away with that? Mm-hmm. I mean, as an ex-player, you've been out there. You've been in those battles. You've been in those moments. How do you weigh the response? How do you know what the right response is at the right time? Well, let me go to Gretz's era, right? Yeah, there was a little bit of that, but uh, you know what? Wayne Gretzky was really difficult to hit, and he was difficult to touch. And he, not that he was fast or really strong, or, but he was just, you know, really greasy in his vision, and he had an unbelievable knack of knowing how far he could go before you would stop and turn back and then and then not only that um you know the one story that you know i'm a young guy and and i i i north side boy so i kind of figured out real quick that if i got him the puck i had a really good chance to to get an assist and you know so i would figure out you know i asked him one day well where do you want me to go when you got the puck and he said something to me that uh lived for me forever he says i can't tell you where to go kid but you go to the opening and i'll find you so it was a really you know what it really was simple but it made sense but that's how he kind of thought he kind of could see everything and his vision was 
unbelievable. How did you protect them? You know, um, well, we didn't throw him pizzas up the middle, that's for sure, but we would, you know, he, he was just difficult to hit. Did he get hit once or twice? Absolutely. Did they try to? I can guarantee you, just like Connor, you know, and you know, they took two more steps towards him and they maybe freed up somebody else. But as long as everybody on the ice recognized that, that gave everybody a little bit more space and time, and we had to make the most of it. That's Brian Benning, really entertaining guy. Very fun to have him on the show. Best of Inside Sports on 630 Chet. Next half hour is going to be a good one. Cavis Reed, former Eskimos head coach, now the Alouettes GM, and Phil Esposito as we roll along. 630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad.